Yeah, again, I don't understand why there's a trope of these men having to be absolutely ginormous. Sometimes. Like you just have like regular size men. Like you don't have to be seven feet tall with a big swinging dick. You could just be average height with like a nice size penis. Yeah, like you could just be a dude. It's you could fine. just be just a guy hit him with your car. <laughs> So funny. <laughs> I love that. Welcome to your safe space, the podcast your partner, friends, parents, whoever thinks is dirty. Don't have time to read books? Want to understand the jokes in the TikToks? We got you, fam. We're the Spice Traders, and we deal in spicy books. I'm Katie, and I need it to make sense. I'm Liz, and I'm hypercritical. As always, we start every episode with three things. The first is a generic trigger warning. You can find specific triggers for this book in our show notes, so please check those out. Also, we do use foul language and talk a lot about sex. If you have sensitivity to any of this, please give this episode a skip. Secondly, we talk about books. The whole book, nothing but the book, so help me goddess. If you plan to read this book and don't want something spoiled right now, don't listen to this episode. Lastly, we acknowledge that a good book can hit you at the wrong time. The views expressed in our discussion are our opinion, and we absolutely don't want to diminish the work and the talent of the authors in our community. That said, we have some notes. So Liz, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Death's Obsession by Avina St. Graves. This was published this year in 2023, and it is a standalone paranormal romance. This book is 178 pages long, and that's a shorty. I will start by looking at the cover, because that's how we roll over here. And I actually really liked this cover. I did too. Um, we get like a crow or a raven. I don't, I can't tell the difference because I'm not. An ornithologist? Her- how could that's you? it. I want to say herpologist, and that's lizards and stuff. A herpeterpatologist is a lizard Herpeterpatologist. Guy. <laughs> that's a lizard guy. Um, and there's some black roses. It's very nice. It goes with the, you know, the whole death's obsession thing. And then uh, the little blurb is, she was meant to die, but death didn't want her soul. Which sounds real depressing. Yeah, it does. It makes it seem like there's something wrong with her right off the bat. But if we focus on the the cover, it's the kind of book that I would love to have on my shelf if there was a physical yes. copy, but I think it's only an ebook, unfortunately. Oh, no, you can get it on paperback. They just don't oh. have a hardcover. Okay, got it. Just kidding. Anyway, it's really pretty. It's really pretty. And it is on Kindle Unlimited for those Kindle girlies out there. Yes. Um, I don't have that much else to say about, like, commentary with this book. The cover means has nothing to do with the story, though. There's, like, not a crow. There's no roses. There's not even bird symbolism in this book. Nope, nope, nope. So that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, kind of a miss. I guess let's get into it, because what the fuck did I just read? Yeah. <laughs> so before, before we start it. <laughs> like, I'm fucking ready. I'm ready. Let's dive in. I have a lot to say. Um... So, yeah, I mean, for a shorty, I've got seven pages of notes, and part of that is just me, like, (laughs) waxing poetic about what the fuck I'm reading. Um, But before we get into that, uh, we get a lot of additional content up front. One of them is a trigger warning list, which we'll include in our show notes. It's fairly specific, um, and it has to do with both the sexual triggers and kind of the emotional physical triggers as well. 
we get a blurb about the premise of the book, which was kind of nice since I typically go into these blind. So <laughs> I actually had an idea of what this book was supposed to be about going into it. And honestly, I think it made it worse for me. I, it made it worse for me, too. I wish I hadn't read it. <laughs> like the, blurb. the whole book. Oh, I, mean, I was like, well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that I feel that way about the book, but at least no, the blurb. It was, yeah, the blurb was kind of a bummer. Yeah. Uh, we also get an author's note. That says, among other things, quote, if you by chance know Greek mythology and are well-versed in Latin, I sincerely apologize for this book. It won't be accurate. Fortunately, I don't have that problem. And I started off appreciating the author being very uh, upfront and transparent about what she does and does not know. Um, But I feel like it wasn't warranted in this book because maybe it's because I don't know Greek mythology that well. (laughs) Yeah. So I I had that question too so when I first read that I appreciate that because a lot of times we see authors that seem to claim they know what they're doing and then they just fuck things up so I'd rather you just be like yo I took my own take on this so we're good here deal with but it but <laughs> I don't I know a bit about Greek mythology and like uh, we don't get much in here and like Latin is there any Latin in this book anywhere I thought maybe Latin had to do with the male main character's name, question mark. Oh. But we don't get, like, <laughs> phrases. or Like, it's not like we're part we're in, the, we're in the Da Vinci Code trying to parse some, like, ancient Latin text or anything like that. Yeah. So that was weird. That was um, weird. <laughs> we also get a playlist. <laughs> the playlist was fine. It was... There wasn't a whole lot on there that I recognized, and I also didn't look it up. And the final thing we get is a dedication, which is, quote, to the girls who think that the Grim Reaper will fuck like a god. And I gotta say, great dedication. And I started off, like, having high expectations for this book because my note here is, I think I now fall into that category. Yes! Samesies! And I got really excited. Yeah, I did too. Especially because, like, real big fan of, like, the Hades Persephone thing that is yes. popular these days um yeah it, I, I don't feel like the book delivered on that for me no let's get into the prologue this is the first book that we've read in a while with a prologue and that makes me a little sad because we don't have des here to say that she didn't read it i know i thought about that too we have a pretty good consensus that we read prologues here on this podcast now so if you don't read the prologue you won't know what's happening for most of this book Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even really remember the prologue. Uh, yeah. Well, it's it's basically from Death's point of view. We can assume that Death is talking because of the play, like the, um, the dedication. But basically he's saying, quote, I have never wanted a soul until her, my Lilith, my night monster. And it's just him waxing poetic about, like, falling in love with this person and wanting something for himself. When we get to chapter one, we meet Lilith, and she is the primary perspective from which we'll be reading this book. It's told in first person, and we do get perspective shifts, but the majority of it overwhelmingly is told from Lilith's perspective. And she's considering a note that was left in her room by someone she calls the Faceless Man, and this is a person that visited her on the day of an accident. It's not giving away anything here. We do find out bits and pieces about the accident as the book goes on. But in order to just 
skip a lot of that um, frustration and lack of clarity that I felt while reading the book. I'm just going to tell you now. A lot of things have happened to Lilith in her past. This accident is a primary one. And this is ex essentially where most of her problems start because she was in an accident with her sister and her sister's partner at the time. She is the only survivor of that accident, but she was injured so badly that she really shouldn't have. She remembers this faceless man coming over to her as she was lying on the ground, having been thrown from this burning car after it hit a tree. And he essentially said something to the effect that it wasn't her time, he wasn't going to take her, and she lived when her sister and her sister's partner died. She feels a lot of guilt about this. A lot of guilt. I'm so glad that you just started with that because I was also frustrated with how slowly that was drawn out because it's not... The accident itself isn't, like, a big reveal, but we just get these, like, little bits and pieces of it, which I found incredibly frustrating. Not only that, but we also learn, like, for the majority of this book, I thought her parents also died in that car accident. But her parents, she says, at some point, both died from colon cancer previously. Yeah, but and that's, like, three quarters of the way through the book. <laughs> right. I'm like, wait, what? Her parents yeah. didn't die in the accident? I'm confused. Uh yeah, we also will meet another character, Evan, but I thought he was in the car for a long time, and so I was like, You weren't the only survivor. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's the crux of why she's like so fucked up, right? Like she had yeah. this accident, her life went down the tubes. It felt like she lost her entire family, like a Batman situation, right? Yes. But that wasn't the case. So it feels like girl, Dead Parents Club over here. I get it, right? I, I really <laughs> understand. But I feel like one grief kind of prepares you for the next a little bit. Like, it just doesn't yeah. feel like she had that resiliency. No. No, it doesn't. I just... And, which is kind of a bummer, because I feel like a huge... We'll get into it, but a huge theme in this book is, like, dealing with grief. And I feel like it just didn't hit home. No, not at all. So this accident confusion brings up a good point, and one of the main criticisms I have about this book is it is a tell-don't-show book. Oh, this book is all narrative. Yeah, and I got frustrated but also really confused at parts because it did something that we've run into with books before where it would be like, I'm in this place, like this opening scene. She's in her house reading a note left by some guy. And then she goes off on this like internal diatribe about other shit. And I forgot where she was. And then she's yes. like, now I'm back in my house in this note. And I'm like, fuck, is that where we started? Yeah, those segues were really weird. Yeah. Anyway, so this note says, quote, you're beautiful when you sleep. Listen. That's fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you just wake up to that note in your house, none of that's cute to me. No, it it really sets the creepy vibe immediately. <laughs> yeah, like, I guess if my spouse told me that, fine. But an anonymous note, I'm just getting, like, haunting Adeline vibes. Yeah, that wasn't, like, your spouse's opening pitch, right? So, like... <laughs> no, especially not just, like, anonymously either. Just, like, hey, I'm clearly watching you while you're asleep. Right. <laughs> Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? This is opening pitch. God. 
<laughs> hey, I just met you, and you're beautiful when you sleep. What? What? Okay. Come again? Okay. So, as I mentioned, she proceeds to go on this, like, long internal diatribe. And in this diatribe, we learn that she has who I assume to be a psychologist that's treating her. And this person's name is Dr. Mallory. And she's talked with Dr. Mallory about kind of her mental state, um, the things that she's experiencing, specifically with the faceless man. And this doctor has essentially told Lilith that it's all in her head and is treating her to that effect. So she's treating Lilith with uh, psychoactive drugs to essentially counteract what she thinks are manifestations of like schizophrenia or something like that. I had a big problem with Dr. Mallory. We never actually see Dr. Mallory, but and I don't even know if it's a female or male, but this doctor, like, from a psychological point of view, just does not seem to know what they're doing. Or they're just a psychiatrist, and so she's not actually in therapy. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, if, and I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I do teach psychology. If I had a client come to me that after an accident they were suddenly seeing this, like, vision i wouldn't just slap this like oh it's all in your head on you like i feel like we really need to do some digging maybe it is all in your head but we should figure out why and like what it stands for right well and typically correct me if i'm wrong but if you start having visions that's typically confirmed with some kind of brain scan right yeah you can definitely confirm the brain scan so like if you don't have that backup evidence why would you treat somebody for uh like brain thing that you don't know that they have. Yeah. And like antipsychotics are really intense drugs, like anti hallucinogens. I'm not, again, we don't see this doctor, but it seems like she takes her pills like really willy nilly. Yep. And that's also not how antipsychotics work. Nope. <laughs> but she just like seems to take them when she's already had a vision. And I'm just like, this is not regulated. This is terrible. Yeah. Dr. Mallory seems to be very negligent in their care. Yeah, and, and going back to the tell, don't show, I would have liked to see one of their sessions, right? Like, yes. Dr. Mallory has an incredible influence on this plot, on this story, because of the way that she's treating Lilith. And, I, I mean, making Lilith feel unheard, all of these things, crazy, like, this medication that she's becoming addicted to, right? Yes. And I just feel like it would have been way more effective if we saw the interaction with Dr. Mallory. Like, maybe Dr. Mallory is overworked and she's a public doctor, right? And so that could have been an interesting interaction. It also could have been a a way to talk about Lilith's PTSD and her experiences as a result of loss and the crash without having her just talk about it in her inner monologue. Yes, because she's really, I mean, again, Dr. Mallory being kind of a not a great doctor from what we see, like PTSD is really what she's struggling with, not schizophrenia. Right, exactly. Uh, Yeah, you're right. That would have been such a good show, don't tell. We don't even get like memory explanations of like sessions. Like we don't even get like an internal monologue of session. We just go like, oh, Dr. Mallory said this. It doesn't listen to me. Yeah, exactly. It's just a summarization of how Dr. Mallory is treating Lilith. 
Yeah. So Lilith's situation with the faceless man is compounded because there's something paranormal going on here, right? Every time she takes one of these physical notes that are left for her when she tries to show them to somebody, or if she takes a picture of one and tries to show them that, they disappear, right? So they are erased off of her phone, or they, like, the physical letters actually disappear before she can show them to anybody. Which... Talk about gaslighting. Like, I I don't... I. Look, I have a big problem with this male main character. Yes, I do too. Like some of the shit. Oh, and I have a big problem with the way that he's trying to force her to like deal with her grief. Oh my God. It's so toxic. Like So this is, unhealthy. It's so unhealthy. <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense, especially for a girl with abandonment issues. Like, no, oh, we'll get into it. But like, what the fuck? My guy. My guy. My brother in Christ. So, along with these notes, she also will get some, like, small gifts, like black feathers or, like, small animal skulls. Um, Same deal with them. So, like, whenever she tries to show them, they'll disappear. But she has started, like, collecting all of them. She won't, like, throw them away. Um, There's other things that happen to her as a result of the interactions with the Faithless Man. She'll obviously see him, and he'll always be kind of, like... Oh, like afar, like across the street, right? So she'll see him out her window across the street, standing on the other side, looking at her, that kind of thing. But every time she sees him, the reason she calls him the faceless man is because he's got a hood pulled up and his face is shadowed. So okay, very so, big Grim, Grim Reaper vibes. I'm sorry. I, I had to say something about the hood because, yes, that's, I pictured like a cloak and a hood. At the very end of this book, she calls it a hoodie. Yeah. Is this just like some bro in jeans and a hoodie? <laughs> like, Dude, what? I could not get over the fucking shadowed face for much of this book. No, it was exhausting. It was exhausting. And I kept trying to like, I, like I had to get rid of it in my mental image to make it make sense. Because like at some point it's not giving anything away. It's a, it's a paranormal romance. We all know what we're here for, right? They <laughs> kiss and she, his face is still in shadow. I'm like, how the fuck does that actually work? It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it, no, I know. They kiss a few times. Yes, more than once. And, yeah, no, it doesn't, no. Mm-mm. So <laughs> along with <laughs> these disturbing gifts and seeing this person, she'll also often wake up from sleeping at night and there will be symbols painted on her body and they appear to be painted in black ink. But again, these two are brushed away by the therapist. Essentially, you know, she says, you must be sleepwalking, done them yourselves, that kind of thing. But the problem with that is that many of the times that this happens, there are handprints that are much bigger than Lilith's own hands. But I guess that's a detail that Dr. Mallory doesn't want to talk about. And again, I would have loved to see that. Like when Lilith explains that, what is she really just like, nah, nah, girl. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You probably don't know what sizes are, so. (laughs) You should probably get your eyes checked, too, because not only are you crazy, but you're also going blind. Yeah, I just, I have so many questions about this fucking doctor. Yeah. And then, maybe this is one of those, like, it's all a dream and she is schizophrenic and Dr. Mallory doesn't fucking exist. Oh, that would have been an interesting ending. Would have been. I could see that being an interesting, like, way that you could interpret the ending of this book, too. Yes, because the ending of this book was not good. It was whack. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
was whack. I got that's the only adjective I have to describe the end of this book. <laughs> so still in this diatribe, apologies, this is a big information dump. Lilith talks about her boyfriend Evan and how Evan for a while was a shield against the faceless man because whenever she stayed with Evan, none of these things happened to her. But that ultimately that too stopped working, right? So faceless man got over the fact that Evan was with her. And Evan seems like a real piece of shit and continues to be one throughout the book. He doesn't want to deal with Lilith's problems, specifically her nightmares or sleep talking. So they actually live apart, despite the fact that they're basically common law partners. (laughs) And they only share a bed once a week. This drove me wild because... Evan frequently seems to rely on Lilith's money. And like, even in this beginning kind of talks about like, oh, like you need to make more money. We need more money. Bitch, you don't live together. You have no input on her income. No. Like that. That didn't make sense to me. And Lilith being like a floppy disk of a human, just. (laughs) (laughs) Just. I don't I don't like any of them. <laughs> no, I don't yeah, I don't like fundamentally any of these characters. Um no. yeah, no, Evan Evan takes advantage of Lilith in a lot of different ways, which we'll get into, but one of them is by like controlling how they interact, how often, like the emotional and physical intimacy, as well as like actually taking advantage of her monetarily too. So it, he has layers to his shittiness. Yeah. He's got some deep shitty layers. So another one of the things that I don't like about this book is that we don't understand a whole lot about Lilith or what she looks like. And I thought that was a miss because if somebody is struggling this badly with mental health or their life in general, that would be manifested in physical attributes, right? Like dark circles under their eyes, um, a lack of motivation to get out and keep their body healthy, that kind of thing. Yeah. But the only things that we learn about Lilith are that she has dark brown hair, blue eyes at some point way later in the book, and that she has, quote, scars from the accident. But we don't know specifically what those scars are. I had so many questions about the scars, too, because she kind of alludes to them being all over her abdomen. So I'm like, are these scars from being thrown through a windshield? Are they surgical scars? Like, we don't know how big, dark, how many. Like, we don't really know anything. No. And it just feels like, I mean, it feels like a miss because she's, she comments on the scars a lot. It's one of the insecurities that she has, but she's not specific about the security, the insecurity, right? So like, (laughs) I'm just thinking to myself, if I was a character in a book and being like, oh, I hate my thighs. The one thing I hate about my thighs is that they're big and jiggly. I got them thunder thighs for days, right? But she does, she's not that specific, right? She's just like, I have scars. They're on my body and I don't like them. Yeah. And it doesn't even like, she doesn't even tie into any emotionality into the scars. Like I don't like the scars because they represent the day my sister died. Like when I should have died, like there's no tie to that other than just like I'm scarred. Or I can still feel the glass in my stomach or whatever. Yeah. Like when I look at them, it like triggers all these memories. Yeah. None of that. So anyway, this entire first scene of her dumping this information on us, reading the note, etc., has happened on one of the nights that Evan is staying over at her place and in the middle of the night. So she's woken up, found this letter. She's also found the markings on her body. And so she cleans off the markings, hides the letter, and then crawls back to bed with Evan. In this 
scene, she makes a comment to the effect of she feels like she died the day of the accident with her sister, but her body lived on. And she proceeds to stare into nothingness until the morning. And for a while, I thought that she actually might have been undead. Ooh. Because she doesn't take care of herself. She doesn't seem to need sleep or food. No, because she's, like, essentially starving most of this book. Yeah. Essentially starving and sleep deprived. And it's like, okay, that would have been a little bit more interesting. But I, w- I think she's just making the point that she's super depressed and not yes. undead. But undead would have been really interesting. Um And we do, like, and this is where I feel like this book had so many misses because it could have been such a good exploration of depression, too. Like, I mean, you get it in the title. Like, death is here. Death is a thing. Um, That, like, she wants to die and, like, death won't take her. Mm -hmm. So, like, that, like, suicidal ideation and, like, all of these things are just glossed over. And I feel like it was just a really big miss for some really important topics that could have been targeted. Yeah, it it feels very much like we, like the author tried to deal with these sensitive topics, but didn't really know how to handle them. So like, if she really felt like she wanted to not continue living, right? Like, I would have expected her to act on that. Yeah. But I don't think she does. And there was at some point where I thought maybe she had the accident and then also tried to act on it later. But I think it was just the same hospital stay. Yeah, but that would have been much more interesting, too, to, like, really see the refusal of, like, her being not able to die. Right, yeah. Or even if she had, like, other accidents, that would have been much more interesting. Yeah, I agree. I also didn't really... The the description of how she dissociates from her life didn't really stick with me either, because she's described as completely dissociating, like literally thinking about nothing and staring into space. And I don't know, I haven't been depressed in a while, but when I'm depressed, it's not that I'm thinking about nothing. It's that I'm thinking about how much I don't love the things that I used to love and there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Like, and I, maybe this is just the way my brain works, but I don't think I've ever thought about nothing. Yeah. Like, that would probably be a relief, honestly. <laughs> right. So, and dissociation is also such a big part of this book where she'll, like, bring it up later, like, where she's hiding in her mind, but it it doesn't really make sense, and it didn't jive with me either. Yeah, and, I mean, you're the psychology professor, but typically dissociation, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't mean thinking about nothing. It means about being, it means thinking about a specific thing that allows you to dissociate, right? Yeah, it's like stepping out of where you are. Like, it is right. going into some other place. Like, like your child's home, or... Exactly. Like, this is a really, like, brutal uh, example. But, like, when kids are, like, sexually abused, like, their dissociation will be, like, going to some happy place, like, in their head. Like, they're yeah. removing themselves from the thing. And she doesn't do that. Yeah. But then, kind of a continuity error, she says she does that like later she's like oh yeah i like hide in my memories of the faceless man but like but do you i don't think so because we're never done that no not at all (sighs) anyway 
So the next morning, Evan showers and Lilith checks the footage of the nanny cam that she has set up in her bedroom. But as usual, the footage from the period of the night where the marks actually get on her body or the note was left are erased. And we learn that this is something that is expected. Whenever she's visited or whenever something like this happens, there's rarely any evidence that she can point to, certainly not on camera. Which is also terrifying to me. Yeah. Like, there's just missing chunks of video. Yeah, it's not that, like, the video is, like, just looping her sleeping. It's that there's hours worth of video that don't exist. Yeah. Yikes. It's so scary. Which is not something that I would appreciate a potential lover doing to me. Well, that's the thing. Like, there's just so much gaslighting in this lover, quote unquote. So Evan is done showering and he leaves her bathroom a mess and also doesn't leave any warm water. So if we're counting the ways in which he's a douchebag, this is way number two, I guess, since introducing his life. Yeah. But Lilith is trained not to bite back because she's been with him for so long that she knows how to basically handle the dirt bag. And we learned that one of the reasons that she's like conditioning herself and dealing with this is that Evan stuck by Lilith after the accident and it's an increasingly huge sense of guilt that keeps her tied to him. She feels obligated. But she has thought about leaving him and as she does so that morning, she hears the faceless man tell her soon, my love. And she knows that he's in the bathroom with her but when she goes to look by ripping the shower curtain back, he's obviously gone. Which is also so scary yeah Um, i would prefer to not do that thank you yeah that'd be really nice so that's another thing that being shown would have been really nice like to have some sort of flashback of evan like standing by her and being supportive of her Mm -hmm. or his own grief because i think her sister's partner was like his best friend yeah but he doesn't seem to be grieving yeah there's nothing that we're shown in this book that makes Evan a forgivable character. No, not at all. So Lilith dresses and she notices that her jeans are fitting tighter and that's something that she kind of offhandedly remarks to us as readers that she noticed about a bunch of her clothes, but she blames the washing machine. And this is just one of those offhanded comments. It comes up here and then once more later on in the book and that's it. And it feels like a very uh, half-assed detail in the book. I also didn't understand it because she's not eating. So why are your clothes tighter? Well, I think that's the point, right? She's not eating. She's losing weight, but somehow her jeans are fitting tighter. Oh, okay. And I guess, yeah, it's, uh, I hate that. I hate that. Yeah, I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so much. So in the kitchen, Evan berates Lilith for not making more money at her job as a barista, specifically in tips. And Lilith tells him that she had to spend money to see Dr. Mallory instead of telling him that she wants to break up. And Evan doesn't find that a good excuse. He goes on to berate her, and this is way number three that he's a douchebag. But basically, she doesn't have any money for him to take. Also, does he have a job? Because I don't think so. I don't remember. (laughs) I don't think he does. I don't think he does. I think he just mooches off of her. And it drives me insane that she's just like, oh, sorry, I had to go to my therapist. Right. 
So as he continues berating her, Lilith thinks about her family who died in the accident that left her with these demons, Dahlia, her sister, and at this point, her mother and father. I swear to God, she was thinking about the accident and she talked about her mother and father, which is why I thought they died. It was really confusing. It was not well explained. And then later, the colon cancer thing was just like, oh. Yeah. So she she was the only one that survived, like I mentioned, and her survival was chalked up to nothing short of a miracle. And afterwards, she was in a coma for a month. She stayed for the she stayed in the hospital for a month after that. And now she remarks to us as readers that she only has pain meds and trauma for company. Well, you also have antipsychotics. Woof. <laughs> she treats her antipsychotics more like pain meds, though. She does. She just pops them all willy nilly. I know. So Evan brings her out of her ruminations by forcing her to look at him while he berates her, and that hurts her in the process. She tells him as much, and he immediately tries to apologize, but three loud knocks on the door interrupt them. But when Evan goes to investigate, no one's there. When Lilith looks out the window from the kitchen across the street, she sees the faceless man. Okay, so these knocks come up a few times, but I was confused by them because I couldn't tell that they were on a door. Sometimes like, they're just, like, on the floor or in the house or, like... And just... no one... Yeah, like, they're... I think they're outside at Evan's house once and they hear the knocks. And I'm like... How? <laughs> and, and no one questions it. And, like, yeah. Evan hears them. They're not just in her head. So, like... What? It, it really reminded me of, like... Did you ever watch Westworld? Yes! So, when the androids were, like, shown, like, a cell phone or something, and they would be like, doesn't look like anything to me. That's what I feel like these characters are reacting to these knocks like. Yes! Yes! A hundred percent! Like, did you hear that? that? Doesn't sound like anything to me. Okay! Like, okay! (laughs) Great! So, these knocks break the tension, and the moment is gone. Lilith goes to check her phone and realizes that the faceless man has graduated from letters to texting, which feels like... I don't know. It took you four years to learn how to text, my guy? Yeah. I... Why are we texting now? Also, <laughs> why... why I, the timeline here doesn't make sense. So, listeners, Lilith was with Evan before the crash. We don't know for how long. But it was a long time. And then the crash happened, and the crash was four years ago. She's been encountering the faceless man for four fucking years. Make that make sense to me. I honestly kept forgetting that, and I thought that the crash was like six months ago. It feels recent. It feels really recent. Well, the amount of trauma... I mean, like, okay, listen, I have never been in a tragic car accident. But four years, girl, like, there's no (laughs) healing. Like, you've made no emotional progress. No forward progress. And, And beyond that... This death guy is hounding you and doing this to you for four years? Like, what is his end game? Like, I know he's not a patient motherfucker. Like, what's going on here? I don't know. And that's another reason why I kept forgetting that timeline. Because it just seems like this is all happening right now. Yeah. I mean, on the barest level, because I'm hypercritical, he's got to run out of things to say. Exactly. Well, maybe that's why the first note came across as so creepy. You're beautiful when you sleep. He just is replacing activities. Like, you're beautiful when you jog. You're beautiful when you (laughs) drool. You're beautiful when you eat. Because he's just running out of 
everything. Activities, <laughs> yeah. So she texts the guy back, and his response is cryptic. He's, she's basically asking, you know, who are you? And his response is like, you already know who I am or some bullshit like that. Anyway, as she's checking her phone, Evan leaves and Lilith heads to her job as a barista. She tries to be more cheerful to get more tips, but it's a losing battle because everybody's, it's a morning shift, right? Nobody's like really interested in tipping well when they're trying to get to their job. Lilith is having a tough time, especially when after the rush, she has another vision of the faceless man and her sister, which has her on edge. So her sister shows up sometimes and she's like in accident form, like bloodied and gross and weird. And that never comes up again. Like we don't get an explanation for why that's happening. No. No. (laughs) In response to these episodes, she takes more medication from Dr. Mallory to try and help her. And that's what, like, we were talking about earlier, where, like, whenever she has an episode, it's like she can take these meds and they're supposed to, quote, help her. I don't know of a psychoactive that does that. No, that's not how they work. (laughs) Um, And if anything, it's, even if you know nothing about, like, drugs, um, taking a drug after you had a hallucination is not going to help the hallucination. No. They're preventative. They're like build up over time. It's the consistency thing, right? Yeah, you have to take them. And that's a problem people with schizophrenia is that they come off their meds or they don't want to stay on them because it takes a while to stay on them. Um, And if we are assuming that the faceless man is not a hallucination, but her sister is, why aren't the drugs working? Right. Exactly. Anyway, so at that point... Lilith remembers the texts from the faceless man and she sends him one telling her, telling him basically to leave her alone to which he responds, quote, never my precious flower. He's such a creep. He's like (laughs) a nonviolent haunting Adeline. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And okay. So, Knowing how this book ends, I'm even more irritated by these responses. I am too. Like, I'm going, I'm telling you this story and it's like, this guy is such an asshole. (laughs) He's such an asshole. He's such a manipulative dick. Like, I was sort of trying to root for the romance throughout this book. And then the end came and now going through it again. I'm like, no, no, this is... This is manipulation. This is problems. (laughs) Manipulation station, 100%. So Lilith thinks again about the accident. Again, thinking, ideating, talking to us in her internal monologue, not showing us. But she thinks about how right before the accident, so right before the events that led to her sister's death, she felt the call of death and she was ready. But when it came down to it, death didn't want her. It wanted her twin sister instead. Her twin sister and her dead boyfriend. Her deadbeat boyfriend, I should say. She's like, why and, do they all have to have deadbeat boyfriends? Well, yeah, that's a great <laughs> question. Like, you guys have terrible taste in men, I guess. What? But if you're twins, maybe that makes more sense. I also don't understand why they're twins. I, I wanted that to come up more. Yeah, that, like, twin connection. Yeah, like, there was maybe that's why it's been four years, because death had your sister and was like, well, she's fine, but I think I want the live one. Yeah, that would have been so much more interesting but we don't get that. But this is the first introduction of this whole concept of like, she's ready to die, but death didn't want her specifically. And 
I hate this because in the context of the book, it's just not true. It doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) And it feels like the book is trying to gaslight me. Yeah, just like how the faceless man is trying to gaslight Lilith. Yeah, like you're being willfully ignorant of your own fucking plot that you're telling to me by saying this th- these things. Like, uh, why are we here? It just feels like they're trying to make it a thing, and it's not a thing. It's not a thing. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. So Lilith <sighs> is still at work, and she checks her <laughs> work locker, and she finds another note. This one just calls her beautiful. Feels like a broken record at this point. But she realizes that as much as she wants this faceless man out of her life, she craves his attention because without it, she will be well and truly alone. Woof. Also, girl, make some friends. Like, uh, find a better therapist, man. Like, I know her therapist is the worst. Yeah, I I mean, and this is where, like, I just personally can't relate to this because I can't imagine wallowing in something like this for four years. No, like I have struggled with depression on and off. <laughs> it's never been this bad for four years. I and again, like for it to be this bad for four years and her not to have attempted suicide or anything doesn't make sense either. Not that I want anyone to attempt suicide, but it doesn't track. Yeah, it, I just I don't I don't see the I don't understand the reason behind like her motivation and all of this stuff. Yeah. So after work, she's at home by herself and she goes through the motions like eating dinner and washing up and things like that, like a zombie, and eventually falls into bed. In her dreams, the faceless man meets her on a black beach. He holds her and tells her sweet nothings and she craves to know him, to touch him, to see his face. But she can't and he tells her that essentially she can see his face when she opens her eyes, which again is very cryptic. Go fuck yourself. And this is the first time he kisses her goodbye, telling her, quote, soon a lifetime will become an eternity, end quote. But I am confused as to how you kiss someone and not see their face. Or at least get a general idea of what their face feels like. Because, because even later she's like, maybe he doesn't have a face. Girl, what? How did you come to that conclusion? I don't know, but I swear she says it. Also, (laughs) my, um... My note here is, yay, dreams. Awesome. Yeah, don't you love a dream sequence? We get so many of them. I fucking hate them. I was like, I guess when it's supernatural, it's different, but no. Well, I mean, the the one silver lining about these dreams is that they, they effectively act as, like, an interaction scene. It's not really a dream. Yeah, and, like, I guess they are kind of happening, actually, in yeah. reality. Um, But at this point, I thought they were just dreams, and I was not into it. But even, but, oh, oh God, <laughs> I just remembered, like, <laughs> they, they are interactions, but they're not, like, physically in the same place. Like, they are actually dream visions for her. And, like, when she sees the security footage later of her. Oh, my God, that was so <laughs> upsetting. It was upsetting yes. to me. <laughs> it just, it feels like this guy is wearing her down for four years until she will accept any crumb of attention he's willing to give her. Yes. Under any circumstance. Like, that's, it just feels very, very manipulative. I, I hated that, like, security footage. I hated it so much. Yeah. It's so fucking creepy. 
So, listeners, we'll get to the security footage when we get there. We will not leave you hanging on that one. No, we won't. But stand by, because it's a doozy. Yeah. So, in the morning, Lilith is still reeling from this dream, because, one, it was the first time that she had, like, physically touched this guy, especially kissed him. But she also remembers it. So, she doesn't remember her dreams, usually, at all. And so she's she's kind of out of sorts. She decides that she's going to go see Evan and finds him smoking weed on his back porch with another girl. We learn that he never used to smoke until the accident, and he's kind of using it as a coping mechanism uh, because Dahlia's boyfriend was his close friend, like we've mentioned before. And this is really the only bit of information or show in this story where we see Evan really being anything but a shitbag. And even in this... Even in this scene where he's, like, quote, coping with this loss, he's doing it in a shitty way because, spoilers, this girl is somebody he's fucking. He's so obviously cheating on her. Yep. And again, she is just a flat piece of paper human. And I just don't (laughs) understand. Like, he's obviously cheating on you. Also, two things I wanted to add that I forgot to add. In the dream sequence, and this is an editing thing, um, the faceless man says something like, I smelt you, but the the word is spelled S-M-E-L-T, Ew. which is a metalworking thing. Yes. <laughs> it should have been smelled. <laughs> so I didn't appreciate that. And this morning when Lilith goes to Evan's house, they I guess they have like standing breakfast plans occasionally, and he had texted her and said... Or, again, we don't see anything. She just tells us. He texted me about a headache, meaning we wouldn't have breakfast. And on one hand, I really felt that. The whole, like, oh, I don't feel good. So it's just, like, implied that we're not going to get together. Mm-hmm. And then she goes anyway. And he's just so obviously cheating on you. Like, yeah, she talks about, like, the pitying looks that his roommates give her. And she thinks it's because she lost her sister. And I'm like, no, girl. No. No. It's not that. And, and I that's mean, she, not it. <laughs> she even shows up and Evan's like, what are you doing here? Yeah, like I told you I was, I didn't feel good or whatever. Right. And like, I always have trouble in these situations because I just want to shake both women in this situation because I'm like, hey, new girl, this is going to be you very soon. Hey, I old know. girl, leave his ass. And like the new girl, I just, okay. I've never been in this situation, so I guess I don't know what I would do. But if I was sleeping with a guy who I knew had a girlfriend and the girlfriend showed up, I wouldn't just, like, hang out. Like, this girl sticks around for a while and then, like, kind of excuses herself. Yeah. Well, I think think the way that I read the situation is that she's kind of expecting him to, like, give Lilith the news and, like, kick her out. But that doesn't happen. Like, it's just a normal conversation where she's, like, trying to give him painkillers for his headache on the assumption that he doesn't have any of his own because he's a man-child. I know, and he's like, that? I guess, thanks. And the, <laughs> I read it as, like, this girl gets, like, pissy, and she's just like, ugh, this is a waste of my time, and then goes inside. <laughs> which is which is fair. That's fair. Like, okay, really? Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> yeah. So lilith does ask who this person is but evan gets defensive and deflects asking about a necklace that lilith didn't realize that she was wearing the necklace is a symbol of a triangle within a circle 
the symbol that's on her skin when she dreams and the one that she was standing in on the beach in her dream the night before. And I swear to God, the only thing that I pictured this entire book was the Deathly Hallows symbol. Okay. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I even read it a few times. I'm like, okay, it's a triangle in a circle. So it's, it's the, the opposite. opposite. But I couldn't. No, it was just the Deathly Hallows symbol. <laughs> I could not flip that in my head at all. Sorry. Harry Potter got their first girl. Like, it's just like, that. That's, that's what's in there. So oh sorry. God. So <laughs> Evan basically throws her out and it's just like, leave. And so she does. And they hear and, the knocks here. They're outside and the knocks happen. Oh, yeah. That's right. This is that scene. I don't even remember what happened to, like, get the knocks going. Because it's usually something that tries to break the tension. Yeah, but... I, I don't Doesn't know. not anything to me. Evan's like, leave. She's like, okay, bye. My note is only like, the knocks, question mark? <laughs> I just would have more questions if I was standing outside and I heard some knocks. Like, yeah. loud knocks. Because they're loud. They're, like, disruptive. <sighs> so she goes back to her car, and she finds another note. And when she gets to work, she finds another note in her locker at work. The one in her locker says, quote, You will bloom, my sad flower. You already have the earth. I will bring you the sun. End quote. Okay. It just feels like bad poetry. <laughs> it's It's really bad poetry. Like, did you ever have, did you ever have a boyfriend that like could play a musical instrument and like just wanted to play the guitar for you every time he came over? That's what. This yeah, was like. but they were just sort of strumming because they didn't really know how to play. Uh huh. And they also couldn't sing, so they were just kind of like. Nah, 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 nah. You're yes. So beautiful. So oh, you're so beautiful, yeah. oh, and you God, just have I to like watch them as they sing at you. When really you're thinking, are you gonna put out or are we done here? Right. Like I would really like to go. <laughs> Or get it on, but this is not doing it for me. Feed me or fuck me, but this isn't it. This isn't it. This is not it. (laughs) Oh, God. I feel like we would have been monsters if we just said the things that were in our brains when we were that age. Oh, no. Yeah. But but I also feel like I would have saved myself a lot of heartache. Oh, 100%. 100%. That's 1,000% the way I'm going to raise Penelope. Yes. To just be like, feed me or fuck me. Yeah. Don't waste Just, your time, girl. It's not worth it. No, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So, uh, for some reason, this note l- makes Lilith admit to herself that she feels like the faceless man is the only one who sees her. He's the only one that's acknowledging her depression, but he's also the only one acknowledging the fact that she's seeing the faceless man de facto because he is the faceless man. <laughs> it's a closed circuit. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the call is coming from inside the house. Like, he is the source of your crazy and also acknowledging your crazy. Like, yes. there's nothing wrong here. <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house. Very much that. <laughs> uh, and also, again, I asked the question, go make some friends. That was not a question, but go make some friends. Yeah. Or like, uh, I don't know. I, I just find it impossible for you to work at a job for so long and like have zero interactions with anybody that you work with. Yeah, and she, like, sort of talks to, like, her boss-ish co-worker later, but, like, it's like they've never met. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, okay, how does how does that work? Because especially at a coffee shop, you're, like, constantly talking to each other. Yeah, it's not like she works, like, from home or, like, at a cubicle. I It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Or why even, she like, as a checkout cashier at a grocery store. Like, that's a yeah. pretty individual job. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, it's like a super social job. Yeah, I don't get it. So she gets home and she's exhausted and she's talking about how broke she is to us. So she can't eat, right? But when she gets into her kitchen, she finds a table set with, quote, perfectly cooked lasagna, a plate of sliced ciabatta with garlic butter and melted cheese and a bottle of wine. My three favorite things, end quote. And I'm like, yeah, I can't see a whole lot of flaws with that. That sounds fantastic. I would love to walk in and just have food. I said I'd be fine with hallucinations if they cooked me dinner. Look, I want lasagna right now. So I'm here for this. I love lasagna. Well, and there's a comment. Okay. I... I don't understand why she's so broke with the exception that I think Evan takes all of her money. But she also makes a comment that like lasagna is her favorite food and she hasn't had it in four years. Bro, why? Lasagna is super cheap to make. It's so cheap to make. Or if you want to be lazy, you can get the Stouffer's frozen one for like six bucks. Not e- well, the big one for like six bucks, right? Like That's the what I'm saying. Then you can eat for yeah. like a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. She thinks immediately that Evan left this for her and calls him to thank her. I'm sorry. Why? (laughs) Why the hell would you think it's Evan? Get your head out of your ass. I literally asked that to the ether when I read this part. (laughs) Because obviously he's clueless. Clueless. He's clueless. (laughs) Because obviously he's clueless and Lilith hears another woman giggle on his side of the phone. So it's like, girl. He... (laughs) The best part is that Evan continues to be a dick for many reasons because Lilith is like gushing over it and he's like, uh, sure. Like he yeah. doesn't deny it. He's just like, okay, crazy. And she feels, <laughs> she feels unrelatably out of touch in this scene because she's just like, she doesn't, she doesn't even acknowledge to the readers that she heard that giggle despite the fact that she told us about that giggle. And I'm like, what is happening? It doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> no. So she doesn't call him out. She just kind of hangs up. And I'm like, good talk. <laughs> Back in the kitchen, uh, she finds a piece of parchment that says, quote, a feast worthy of my creature of the night. Enjoy your meal, my love. End quote. So now she fi- if she makes the connection that it wasn't Evan the dirtbag that left her this meal. It was her night stalker. Which... Also, she's mentioned before that, like, the faceless man has left her food, like, muffins in her locker and stuff. So, again, why the hell would you think it was Evan? Who has no money. Also. Who you know is an asshole. Like. Yeah. Make it make sense, girl. So, she dines and she drinks the wine. And in a burst of confidence, she writes a letter back to her night stalker telling him to join her next time. She leaves it on the table and she goes showers. When she showers, or after she showers, she finds his response that she'll be the only thing that he'll be tasting. So she pins a response to that, asking to see him then. And as she falls asleep, she realizes that between when she wrote that last response, cleaned the kitchen, and went to bed, the letter had somehow disappeared. Cool. Cool. So, paranormal pen pals. Love that. Love that. That night, she is visited again in her dreams. He's still hooded, but with less clothes on. And she describes him having, like, honestly, what I picture to be, like, some kind of Matrix-style, like, (laughs) vesty cloak thing. It doesn't have sleeves. It's not buttoned up in the middle, but it's long. Yeah, I definitely pictured, like, a Keanu Reeves with a hood. (laughs) Yeah, and that just, 
really struck me as like very weeaboo. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Like, did you have the guys in in school who like did the lightsaber battles? Yeah, it was. It's <laughs> those guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, why can't he just be shirtless? I don't know why he needs this weird sleeveless cloak situation. Well, because he needs the hood. She can't see his face. He he should just be wearing like a hood, like a like yeah. a balaclava. <laughs> That would have been better. Like, it would have been better. So weird. Or just keep his whole face in shadow. Like he is paranormal. He can make his face shadowed without a hood. I imagine he's no? controlling the environment they're in. He can absolutely do that. <laughs> so like, why? So, uh, but she does get to see like more of him, and of course he's jacked for the gods. And of course he has black tattoos all along his torso. And those tattoos are described as like moving, but we don't get like more information. Like, I don't know if they're tribal. I don't know if they're swirly. I don't know if they're like pictures of things. I just know that they move and they're black and that's it. Yeah. I think later she like alludes them being kind of like smoke, but it's not very well detailed. No. Kind of like her scars. Yeah. (laughs) They're, they're the same. And of course, he's also wearing low slung pants because this is a romance novel. Because <laughs> men don't wear belts in romance novels. Uh, no. <laughs> Honestly, if my husband rolled up in low slung pants like that, I'd be like, get a fucking belt. Those don't fit you. No, the only time I feel like I appreciate low slung pants, and this is still just in romance, is when they're like sweatpants. Yeah, sweatpants are fine. Yeah, but if you're wearing like shorts and Anything they don't. close to a trouser. Yeah, they don't, and they don't sit, like, at your hips, like. Because those are made to make your butt look good when they're, like, up, like, at your waist. Yeah, Yeah. like, yeah. And I want to see that butt. I want to see that butt. So it's at this point that she realizes that she's on a bed in the middle of a clearing, surrounded by candles in the formation of that symbol that we were talking about earlier, which seems like such a pain in the ass. Also, if that symbol is the Deathly Hallows symbol. That's fucking huge to go around a bed. So how would you even be able to identify the symbol? Because I wouldn't. It would just look like I was surrounded by candles. Also, uh, also. <laughs> that's that's not the willful suspension of disbelief hill that I died on, but I get it. All right. So <laughs> there's there are very few lines in this book that I like, but this is one that I like. Where he says, you look beautiful in your bed, but you are utterly breathtaking in mine. I did like that line. I yes. did like that. But she, this is where I have another problem with the word choice is used. She talks about there being a dent in his pants, but dents make me think of something concave. So I was like, is he like a hollow Ken doll? Like, <laughs> like a dent is, is an inward thing. So I read what? that it was a typo for tent. Tent would have made more sense. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but like, also going back to the, you look breathtaking in mine. Homeboy, why did you bring your bed out into a field? <laughs> I was like, is this where you live? Like, where are house? we? Where are we? Is there it's... a highway nearby? Like, what's happening? <laughs> and like, how did I get here? Yeah. Okay, but also, she's in nothing but a flimsy robe that is described as being so see-through that he can, like, see her nipples through it. And I'm like, that's inappropriate. <laughs> Sir. Oh, yeah, like, sir, I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know you. You don't know me. And now you can see my nips. Hmm. Right. And it's like, it's like down, like flimsy with her nips and like spread, like it's barely covering like her vagine. Yes. 
girls. Just seems inappropriate. <laughs> it seems real inappropriate. Like, can you buy a girl? I mean, I guess he did buy you dinner, so. What do I know? Okay. I, I wasn't aware that there was this was that kind of book, but I guess here we are. <laughs> I mean, that's where it's going. <laughs> so he kind of prowls toward her because it's a romance novel. And he tells her that he promised that he would taste her and that he's not a liar. I also did like that. I didn't write down the, the correct line or the exact line. But I did like that he was like, I said this and I'm not a liar. Like, oh, okay. I know. I did like that. I was like, okay. All right. Yeah. So he pins her to the bed. And as he does so, his shadow takes on a life of its own and like moves of its own accord. Like not confined to where a shadow would typically be. And this prompts Lilith to ask whether he's a monster. He tells her that the shadow and he are one, but they're only monsters if she thinks they are. And I'm like, that is the worst answer I have ever heard to a direct question in my entire fucking life. It's such a non-answer. It really is. It's such a, like, bullshit, like, (laughs) you could just say, I'm not of your world. I was not upset with the new take on a shadow daddy, though. (laughs) Okay, I didn't like it, so I feel like we have a difference of opinion there, which is healthy. That is healthy. That's good. That's good. But it doesn't redeem the book for me, and it also doesn't redeem the sex for me, but I was like, okay, all right. And I think maybe that's why I had a problem with it, because it does feel quick. And like, I readers, don't come for me. I know that this (laughs) is a 200-page book. I get it. I know what we were here for, but it just felt like we spent the first, like, 30% of this book in a very like dark and depressing place and with a male main character that I was not sure I wanted to meet and then suddenly we met him and he's got a friend also and now we're like fucking it and we'll get into it but I didn't expect this to be such a rough sex scene either yeah yeah like I don't know why but I was just like oh this is okay yeah, so let's let's get into that a little bit. Because both the shadow and the corporeal man, the faceless man, <laughs> start teasing her. And they do that by touching her body while the hooded faceless man eats her out. Which again, how, how? How? Happen? Where's your hood? Yeah. Do you just have but- it like, mur, mur, mur. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm just in a little fort down here. Don't mind me. Don't mind me. <laughs> But, like, this, this like, scene, there's some slapping happening. Like, aggressive slapping? Like, to her boobs? Yeah. And there's some also, like, aggressive pinching happening. Like, there's a lot of boob stuff here. Yeah. Like, like really, like, violent, like, titty twisting. Yeah. And, and like, in a punishment way, like, shut up sort of stuff. Like, in, in like, a dumb right. way. But we haven't established this relationship, sir. Right. It just feels like we jumped, whoop, right into it. And I'm I'm not ready for that. <laughs> no, I was not ready for that. I, I didn't expect it, him to be rough, and I didn't like that he was. She barely feels ready for it, but, I mean, she's having a good time. It's a romance novel. Yeah. But that also didn't jive with me. I'm like, you don't suddenly go from being depressed AF to, like, yeah, I could fuck. Like, typically, <laughs> sex is not one of the things you want to do when you're depressed. No. And she's supposedly terrified of this guy. And now you're just like, right. banging him? I, okay. Also, the shadow. Why is the shadow like three times bigger than the faceless man? 
I don't know. And I also don't understand how the shadow's, like, supporting her. Like, I don't understand the mechanics of the shadow person. Because he's described as being a shadow, but he's also described as being, like, touchable. Yeah, like, she can, like, lay on top of him. Right. And he can lay on top of her. (laughs) Yeah. I... That didn't make sense to me. It almost felt like a, like, smoky, invisible man. Yeah, I was kind of picturing the invisible man from Rook's Grave. Yeah. But... If, yeah, if he was smoky. So Lilith is enjoying the attention, but before she goes over the edge, she tells the faceless man to stop so she can ask who and what he is, which felt really jarring because she's just like, oh, yeah, wait, stop. (laughs) I know. So it was weird and jarring. I did appreciate that he like immediately stopped. Like, it's very clear that he's like, whoop, hands off. But I don't know if you've ever been close to... I know you, listeners. I don't know if you've ever been, like, on the edge of an orgasm. You're not just going to be like, oh, no, stop. No. Time out. What's your name? No. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Also, it feels like something, I I don't know, that maybe you should have discussed prior. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, he tells her... Also, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's been four fucking years and you've never asked his name. I fucking guess, dude. I don't get it. Like, make it make sense. None of this makes sense. Like, this is the one time the lasagna night is the one time that she tried to write back to him. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he tells her that he wants her to figure out what he is, but that his name is L-E-T-U-M. Let him. Like, Let him rip. (laughs) I didn't think about that. And listeners, when I tell you this is where the book really went off the rails for me, believe it. Believe (laughs) it. Because I could not. This is when my notes become savage. Oh my God. Okay. So I, you know how in KU you can like highlight a word and it'll bring up like the Wikipedia or the definition. Mm -hmm. So I was fairly confident that let him was going to be like death or something obvious. I don't know how getting that wiki in KU works, but when you highlight the name, it brings up Mors, M-O-R-S, who is the Roman personification of death. So why did we talk about Greek in the beginning of the book if we're going with Roman? But also, why is his name Letum? Because that doesn't mean anything. I don't know. I mean, it feels like a terrible choice. I don't like it. I can't imagine stopping an orgasm, being eaten out by a faceless man, asking for his name, and then him telling me, let him, and I'd be like, yeah, sounds good. Let him rip. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I would have responded, let him rip, like, get back to it, what are you doing? (laughs) Oh my god, I wish that's the direction this book then went. (laughs) Unfortunately not. (laughs) Now for something completely different. (laughs) This is where I'm like, okay, one, I hate the name. I'm not into the shadow thing. And I'm super not into not being able to see his face. Because, like, I know we're literally dealing with the Grim Reaper here. But, like, we're going to get a face at some point. Right, guys? Like, I was unsure. I was unsure, too. Like, I thought maybe he just truly didn't have a face. And that was going to be a problem for me. And I just... The whole, like, you'll see me when you open your... I just... I hate it. I (sighs) hate it. Hated it. I 
hate in books when we're giving cryptic, half-assed answers for no goddamn reason. And in this book, there's no fucking reason to do there's that. There's no reason. So Lilith comes, and then immediately the shadow's, like, giving her a massage. But he's not, like... Okay, in in romance novels where this works, I feel like I have to explain myself. <laughs> no, I'm going to. In, in romance novels like Priest, which we recently did, there's, like, a slow coming down, holding, and then it starts with, like, I'm, like, caressing your hair or, like, rubbing my hand on your thigh or something like that, and yeah. then maybe that progresses into a massage. This was described very much as Lilith goes, ah, and then the shadow guy is, like, immediately kneading her shoulder blades, and I'm and like, that's, that's too much sensation, like, don't, stop touching me. <laughs> What are we doing, guys? I don't... It doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> give me a minute. <laughs> Just give me a minute. Yeah, because it's it's like it's trying to get to that aftercare, but it's just not. It's just... And it's now not. for something else. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like we're like, we jumped into a dream, and then we jumped into sex, and then we jumped into aftercare, and it's just like, there. none of this is coherent right now. No, it's wild. Yeah. And so while this shadow is giving her a massage, Lenin is like hovering over Lilith on the bed in a creepy way because, again, you can't see his face. And she sees the dent slash tent in his pants. So she does switch to bulge later, but I'm like, why did you say dent? Yes. I'm just and picturing this concave Ken doll. Yeah, so he has an inward penis. <laughs> but she sees this and she asks him if he'll fuck her. And he says, not tonight, not in a dream. And she feels rejected at first, but he and the shadow start touching her again, and that feeling immediately goes away. But at this point, I don't know. Like, romance novels aside, I just feel like in this particular situation, I would have been like, I'm done. Unless you're going to fuck me, don't touch me. Right, like, you're not just going to continue to tease me after you just, like, essentially rejected me. Right. And then it feels like the scene should have ended there and he would have, like, sent her back. But no, now it's the shadow's turn. So somehow, like, she gets flipped onto her hands and knees and then he's got these massive dildo-like fingers. That's why, why is he so big? I don't know. (laughs) His fingers are literally, like, giant dick-sized. Yeah, they're, like, picture, like, the summer sausage that you see in the malls during Christmas time. (laughs) That's what I pictured. Like, that's what she describes the size being. And is he giant, or is this, like, a Mickey Mouse hand situation? Like, he's just (laughs) massive fucking hands. I I think he's big all over. Okay, that's better. (laughs) Because the Mickey Mouse travesty (laughs) it would be a travesty but then again why is a shadow so much bigger than him i don't know and it's his like soul i guess why does why does death even have a soul that doesn't even make any sense like if if your soul is outside of your body (laughs) (laughs) did we learn nothing from the deathly hollows okay (laughs) like if you're gonna make him undead with his soul like basically his biffle that he fucks with like, why is she not undead? Like, make, just lean into it. And, like, I just have so many questions. Like, is is the faceless man feeling it when Shadow is, like, fingering her? Like, did, are they different, like, sentient? I just, I like, don't understand, and I don't know why it's happening. This I, is where yeah. 
this is where Shadow Daddy lost me. Like when it first introduced this split, that's kind of what I'm hoping that we get from um the Never King. Like this yeah. like shh, other like like two parts of a person. Yeah. But here I was just like, no, why are your hands big? I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. Why are your hands big and why are you corporeal? Either you're a shadow or you're not. <sighs> so he's sticking his dildo fingers in her and she's <laughs> liking it. But then at this point, Letum is like, well, now it's my turn and starts using her mouth. And nope. this felt really cringy to me because it felt like, oh, I'm not going to fuck you in a dream, but I am going to, like, get mine in a dream. It was so cringy, which it was a bummer because I really like a good blowjob scene, and this was just upsetting. Yeah. No, I, this was not good <laughs> to it me. Was, no, it was terrible. The whole scene was not good because, like, it felt too, it, the, the setup was not right, and then, like, the interaction was not right because it's set up to be like kind of this daddy dom situation light TM, but that's very much not the relationship that Letum is setting up in the rest of the book. No, because it's all flowers and romance and taking care and it just, it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So it really feels like he's love bombing her so that he'll have a sex doll in the afterlife. Yeah. Which is kind, kind of the premise of the happens. book. So. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Um, so Lilith comes again, and so does Letum, and that's kind of the end of the scene. And then immediately, like, Lilith gets the itis really bad, and she falls asleep in her dream, which results in her waking up in real life. Which? (sighs) Yeah. And then she realizes that the marks on her body that she got from that experience, so, like, the, the slap marks and things of that nature are actually on her body, so it wasn't a dream. Also, okay, spanking, fine. I've never been hit so hard that there's a bruise in the shape of a handprint. Well, does she describe it as a bruise? Yeah, because she talks about it fading, where it's like black and blue and it fades to like yellow over the next couple days. I don't want to be hit that hard during sex. No, I don't want to be hit that hard ever. (laughs) Like, you can slap me and I'll have a handprint, fine. Yeah, give me like a red handprint, but it should fade in like an hour. Yeah. No, she describes it as a bruise, like black and blue, like bruise. Oh, no, I don't like that. No. And it's this huge fucking shadow hand, too. So it's like her whole ass cheek. Oh, yeah. And then she just she's she's got one around her neck, too. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Good thing she doesn't have friends because no one notices that. No one. She goes to work. Nobody notices. Nobody. Not a question to be seen. (laughs) Mm Mm-mm. So it's at this point where I have a specific note about why this book is hitting wrong. So beyond the things that we've talked about, right, there's a lot of problems here. But one of the things that this book is missing is that there's no bodily or emotional reactions. And that results in the scenes feeling rushed. So like, what I mean by that is like, during sex, in most well written romance novels, right, they talk about like, their breath quickened or like a sharp intake of breath, like as a reaction to something. Yeah. Like their skin flushing. Right. Something like that. There's none of that. There's no physical reactions besides the fact that the orgasm happened. Right. She doesn't even describe how it feels pleasurable to her when they touch her other places. Oh, you're right. And even the orgasm is like, and then I orgasmed. Right. I mean, I don't need to go all the way to the Sarah J. Mass half book in Akatar where she was like on this mystical, magical school bus ride or whatever. <laughs> I don't need that. But there's got to be a happy middling in there somewhere. <laughs> the 
the magical mystical school bus ride. Yeah, that was too much. <laughs> yeah. But there's definitely good middle grounds, and this was just like, and it, 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 it's just so fast. It's all too fast. Yeah. The second piece of specific feedback that I have is that there's this issue of staying too long at the party. So we'll talk about like how you should arrive late, leave early. Mm-hmm. This stays way too late. And an example of that is after this dream, we follow her immediately into waking up in her own bed and finding rose petals for some reason and being like trapped in her it's a dream inner monologue when all of that could have been another time. <laughs> like Yeah, that didn't And again, on. this goes back to the weird like love bombing. Like you just like destroyed her and yeah. now there's just rose petals everywhere. Like I <laughs> Okay. But she could be, I mean, she's such a, like, daydreamy, like, not dealing with her own feelings. She could be thinking about that shit at work, right? Yes. Like, go do something. Give me information right. while you're doing something. Yeah. It's very, like, we don't really have any conversations. But it's very, like, static where you have, like, two people in a book and they're just talking to each other and, like, no one is moving or, like, doing anything. And it's weird. Because, right. like, no one does that. No. it's It feels, um... <laughs> I'm going to make a comparison to, like, The Great Gatsby, which is, like, mostly conversation and, like, no scene setting, but the opposite of that. Yes, because there's... Honestly, so this book I felt gaslit in a few ways, but it... This sounds so weird, but reading this book with it just being these blocks of, like, prose, it, like, made me uncomfortable. Like... Yeah. I knew it was a lot of tell-not show, but it's, like, I couldn't identify, like, why does this feel so weird? Because it feels like you're reading a textbook. Yeah, it was very big. Um, it reminded me of the grapes. Ha- the grapes of wrath. The grapes of <laughs> wrath. <laughs> uh, where there is a entire fucking chapter about a turtle crossing the road. Yes. <laughs> it's where it's like, where are we going? What are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing here? So moving on, we get the first yield perspective shift to <laughs> let him. Sorry, my note says bring on the yield perspective shift too. Yes, make yeah. yield perspective shift happen. <laughs> and so what he's doing is something I hated. <laughs> because he's watching Lilith unseen in her home with her. Like, so she's bopping around, doing her thing, and he's just existing there and I'm like brother don't you have like souls to reap or something okay that is the question I have for like when he like forces her to feel her feelings don't you have a job <laughs> like you're a god go you do your job for a reason right or is your shadow doing all of that stuff like we get it's just so flimsy <laughs> it's so flimsy it doesn't make any sense but he watches as Evan texts Lilith asking for money Ugh. and as she dissociates after reading it. So she's literally holding her phone and then she starts staring into space and she does that for a while. As she does that, he like, he basically says, okay, well, she's going to be like that for a while. So I'm going to go back to her room and leave or something. She's she in stasis. <laughs> yeah, she's, she had to go into stasis power up mode. <laughs> that's, that's what I picture every time she goes, she dissociates. Meow. <laughs> and even the face, or let him, I guess he has a name now, it's just like, Okay, she'll be here for a sec. <laughs> yeah, okay. Got it. Uh, so he goes back to her room and leaves another note and catalogs all the gifts that he's given her that she doesn't use. Specifically, a new bag, new boots, and a new coat. All of these are in the back of her closet. And then he also brings up that thing about her clothes being too tight that um. comes up that time, and now this is the second time. So he's 
made since she doesn't wear the new shit he gets he makes the things that she does have nicer so she he put more down in the coat that she already has she he turned all of her jewelry into silver instead of cheap metal so it doesn't give her a rash and he's modifying her clothing to fit her better i i didn't make that connection with her clothes earlier and this is something that in any other book i think i would really like this idea of like subtly making you more comfortable but I didn't like it in this book. I didn't either. It, I mean, so I, let me let me be specific. I liked that idea. Yes. I even liked it in this book. It was one of the things that I was like, oh, this isn't just love bombing, right? So yeah. that's one of the things that like convinced me that he did care about her. But I, it still didn't redeem the relationship to me at all. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. But it was an interesting take because I haven't seen that in another book before. Yeah, I haven't either. And I and I did like that, like, supernatural, like, care. Because she's not aware of these things either. Mm-hmm. And, like, right. he fixes, like, uh, like, a loose floorboard so she doesn't trip on it. Like, things like that. Yeah, well, and then it frequently, like, cleans her house so, like, she doesn't have to clean yeah. Uh, and look, if you don't clean your house, you get a ring around your toilet real fucking quick, let me tell you. Real quick. So quick. Like, he also just her fridge. leaves her wads of cash. Yeah, so, like, this time <laughs> he'll leave her, like, $1,000 because she's broke, right? But, yeah, I mean, basically he's providing for her, which is great. Yes. I just wish that he did that in less of a manipulative way. Yes. I was also, like, kind of surprised that he wasn't more pissed here because he had given her money and then Evan asks for money. And it's very clear that, like, Lilith is going to give him money. Yeah. So if I were it might be like, bitch. It, but yeah. yeah. And like with what hap- well, with what happens next, um, I she probably doesn't. But I think she intended to. I think she intended to as well. So Lilith eventually comes into the room. And when she does so, she reads the note that he left. And he places himself behind her and like becomes corporeal so she can feel him. And she relaxes into his touch. And he ends up fingering her until I think she's just edged. Yeah. But then leaves. Yeah. (laughs) Which is so shitty. (laughs) And so she's like, fucking hell, man. And so she takes more pills as a reaction. And I'm like, brother, what in the actual fuck? Like, this is the point where I realized this this relationship was toxic. Because not only did he just edge her for no reason and then disappear. He disappears for a long ass time, which we'll find out for no reason. And then also the thing that he did resulted immediately in her like doing something toxic yes why would you do that to somebody you love and if he's been watching her for four years like he should have known that that's the response a hundred percent yeah it's fucked up yeah so we see that from his perspective and then we're back to lilith and then we learn that it's been five days since that incident right so he essentially used her sexually twice and then like cut her off cold turkey for like yeah. five days. What? I, I didn't understand that. Yeah, I still don't understand that. No, it doesn't make any sense. Like, where did you go? Like, did you have to catch up on all the souls you didn't reap? So we do learn that he's actually like there the whole time. He's just not interacting with her. And just he gives stupid. like a justification, quote unquote, for it. But, and we will get to it when we get to it. It is a shitty justification. It's real shitty and I hate it. And so in this time period, Lilith believes that Ledham has left her and never wanted her to begin with. 
That's, I mean, yeah, why would you not think that? <laughs> that is a rational, reasonable thing to think. Mm-hmm. She's moping during her break at her job, and her manager comes in and reminds her that she can't wear rings at work. Uh, it doesn't matter that this is an unrealistic expectation to put on a barista, because we've all seen our baristas with rings on. It's Yeah. <laughs> it is a plot device to get Lilith to notice for the first time that she's wearing a wedding-style band ring around her finger. She is the least observant human. I don't understand that. I don't not notice when something's on my body. Yeah, no, I would have noticed. Especially, like, she clearly doesn't wear rings, so... Right. Even if you didn't feel it, like, maybe you woke up and it was just on your hand, and so, you, like, your body was used to it and, like, you removed would that sensation. See it. You would yeah. see it. Yeah. Like, when you go to, like, brush your teeth or, like, eat, like, you look at your hands, like, driving to work, like, you look at your hands a lot. Yeah. So this band has Even in Death inscribed on the outer band and Letum in Lilith on the inner band, which feels like... <laughs> a lot? Slow your roll, buddy. Yeah, it's it's too much. Like, again, we're going, we're going too damn fast. We're too damn fast! <laughs> too damn fast! But of course, Lilith is elated. It, she takes it as confirmation that what she and Letum have, whatever the fuck it is, is real and she resolves right then and there to end her non-existent relationship with Evan. But as she as she's talking herself up to this, she's debating whether or not to wear quote someone else's ring while breaking up with Evan. Uh, who gives a shit? I rolled my eyes into <laughs> next week. I'm still waiting to catch up. Like <laughs> what? <laughs> Why would you think Evan would give a shit? Why would you think he'd even notice? Yes. Also, also, okay. Also, I just, the last time she saw Letum, she follows it by taking her antipsychotics. But now she's like, okay, cool. We're engaged. So like, do you think he's real or not? That's a great question. I wish I knew the answer. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And Okay. But. Let's let's just make a finer point on that because she's not even like a well-executed unreliable narrator because there's like, no. you know, the gothic horror where your <laughs> your main character is unreliable kind of as a de facto part of the genre and Favorite. that's interesting and cool. This is just annoying because she just feels stupid. Like yeah, she's it's not that she's unreliable, it's that she's contradictory. Yes, it doesn't make any sense. So she goes to Evans and she goes into the house up to his room and the lights are off and it's clear that he's in bed. And so she thinks that he's napping. His roommate even tells her, oh, I think he's napping. But as she nears the bed, she sees a roll of parchment and dread sets in. The roll of parchment says, quote, the fates have not yet called upon his soul. I decided that he lost it the second he laid his eyes on you. End quote. Evan (sighs) is dead. So as soon as like. She got to the room and he wasn't answering the door. Like, I called that he was dead. But I hate so many things about this. (laughs) Let's count the ways. So one of them is, like, again, yes, you put the disclaimer that, like, if you know anything about, like, Greek mythology, I'm not going to follow it. But I feel like there are some fundamental things that if you are going to play in the mythology that you shouldn't fuck with. Namely, like, you shouldn't be able to take a soul that the fates haven't claimed. Right. Like, I don't without like... Without a consequence. Without a consequence. Like, I don't like that death just, like, has this power. 
and it'd be fine if he had this power if the fates didn't exist and it was just him, but you call it the fates. And also, it just seems really unnecessary. Like, yeah, he's a piece of shit, but he's not dangerous to her. Like, he didn't their relationship need... was over anyway. Yeah, and if if his life if he lost his soul the moment he laid eyes on her, one that implies that death has been watching her since like well before the accident. And Two, he has. And he has, which is creepy. Yeah. Two, why didn't you kill him any time in the last four years? Right, you let her suffer under this thing. And it feels like, based on the the like justification that we get later, we're coming to it, of why he's staying away and like forcing like his absence is incongruous with what he just did. Because his whole thing is like, I'm trying to make her do this for herself. Girl, you just took any agency that she had in this situation to choose something for herself away. Yeah. Make that make sense to me. It doesn't. Like, because throughout this book, she's thought about breaking up with Evan multiple times and then backs out. So you're exactly right. Like, taking away that autonomy. Like, why? Your whole goal is to, like, have her find herself and you're not... You're not giving her room to do that. Yeah, you're actively, like, preventing her from doing so. Yeah, for just for no reason. No. So Lilith screams and Evan's roommate comes running in. Lilith, of course, blames herself for her boyfriend, Death, doing his job. (laughs) Nate, the roommate, is frantic and doing all of the normal things. And Lilith is just frozen, right? So he's, like, checking for a pulse, calling for an ambulance, all of that stuff. So there was a line here that... I don't know if I like it or if I hate it because something about it makes me uncomfortable because it feels like something like a politician would say to get out of a problem. Mm -hmm. And the line is, I can't be at fault for a trigger being pulled when I didn't even know there was a gun. Yeah. And I can't put my finger on why that line makes me uncomfortable because she did know there was a gun. That's the thing. Okay, you're right. That That's the thing. You did know. You didn't know it was a gun. Like, if she was truly an innocent, yeah, for sure. But that's the thing. Like, Lilith is lying to herself and de facto us as readers. Yeah. Which makes her just unlikable. <sighs> She's so unlikable. <laughs> so for her to say something like that, it's just like, oh, I could, who could have known? And I'm like, girl, everybody but you, apparently. <laughs> Everybody but you. (laughs) Like, I didn't have to read the a million different things that the author said, hey, this is about death, to know (laughs) by this point in the book that your boyfriend is death. Like, come on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that dog don't hunt with me. No, no, I did not. Did not appreciate. So Lilith does admit in her internal monologue that she doesn't truly feel guilty, but she does feel relieved, which... I wanted her to lean into that a little bit more, but this is the only only shred of, like, self-respect that she has at all in this book. Yeah, and she really doesn't. She does not lean into it at all. And while she's in this room, like, like paramedics are coming, whatever, she's noticing all the signs of that other girl clearly, yeah. like, living there, like, lip gloss on the table and, like, her cardigan and her, like, scrunchie on the door. And even that she doesn't really lean into. It's very passive, like, acknowledgement of, like, oh, yeah, he's totally been fucking someone else. Right. Yeah, like, she never feels the rage. Like, she never feels anything about this, right? No. I mean, the the fallout of the situation is that, like, Nate goes to call an ambulance, 
and Letham is there, and so, like, he and Lilith talk a little bit, and he tells Lilith that he's, that she's his now, and she accuses him of killing Evan, and he says everyone must die. He just decided that Evan's day was today. He also says, like, I didn't kill him, I just took his soul. And I'm like, pedantic. (laughs) Right. Shut the fuck up, Letham. But- Really, it's this conversation and the frustrating answers that he gives her that makes her feel an emotion. She's not, like, grieving Evan in some way, which for a book about, like, grief feels kind of fucked up. (laughs) It's very fucked up. And yeah, like, Evan's a piece of shit, but, like, she essentially lost her only human companion. Right, exactly. And to feel nothing about that? That's callous. And not in, like, an interesting way. No. So, as I mentioned, she goes to her car and she, like, rages for a little bit. And she reaches for her medication because she saw a letum and that's kind of her shtick, right? Which, why, again, is it real or not? <laughs> <laughs> but when she looks at the pills, she realizes that the symbol of Lilith is on it. And she like doesn't understand how she hasn't noticed that before and she knows it's the symbol of Lilith because she just looked up Lilith recently like <laughs> as a product of her interactions with Letum and I'm like why did you look up Lilith yeah and what did you find out like is this book trying to be self-aware it, it like, never comes <laughs> back around it's just a reason for her to know what the symbol of Lilith is and I don't know the symbol of Lilith so I don't give a shit <laughs> No, and I also, like, just makes Lydon more toxic, because has have her pills always not been her pills? Again, are you real or are you not? How long have you been replacing her pills? That's fucked up. Are you replacing the pills, or is this just the medical, like, manufacturer's sign for this fucking pill? Oh, yeah, because it could just be... Because it means nothing. It means nothing. And it could totally just be coincidence. I took it like he was replacing her pills. And I was like, but why? That's what the implication is. But I'm like, we don't get confirmation on that. He has no reason to do that. And she still goes through withdrawals because it's so it feels like it's it's actually the medication that she is getting from her doctor. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the the withdrawals because if it was like sugar pills, she wouldn't have withdrawals. Right. (sighs) So is he real or not? I really, I'm really wondering if like she actually has schizophrenia. I am too. <laughs> Especially at the end of this book. Like girl, I think you're just crazy. I think she's just nuts. So she has this realization and she screams into the ether at Letum, asking him what the fuck he wants with her. And even though he doesn't respond, she is sure as hell that she wants him by her side. And I'm like, why her responses are so contradictory so like how to say like what the fuck do you want from me and then be like but i want to be with you what pick a side (sighs) yeah and this whole time like this whole okay so where we're at in the book right is that she's still got this narrative in her head where death takes everyone that's around her but doesn't want slash doesn't take her right and she doesn't understand why and She's also, at this point, just denying the fact that Letum is death. And death also be fucking her. So I don't understand (laughs) how those two narratives exist simultaneously in her head. Like, for one to be true, the other must be false, right? Like, I just... 
this what this is what makes her such an unrelatable and like contradictory character. Like everything that she does doesn't track with like what she's telling us as readers. No, not at all. And it's incredibly frustrating. Uh, so we're almost there. When she gets home, her apartment looks like the scene out of A Christmas Carol with the ghost of Christmas present because it's <laughs> overrun with candles and food. Like 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 a banquet of food. But yeah, there's just like turkeys on the <laughs> counter and like fruit and like and grapes like shit. Yeah. <laughs> Cheese plates. And like potatoes <laughs> and candles. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um and there's a painting where her TV was, or should be. I don't know if she actually has a TV. It's unclear. But there's a painting there now. <laughs> and it's a portrait of her and Letham. But Letham, of course, only has a hood. So it could be anybody under there. And <laughs> in the middle of all of this is a letter telling Lilith that he's coming for her. But then he... Okay. Okay. I just... <laughs> so... What I didn't understand about this was that she kind of, like, has to deal with this mess. <laughs> Which, like, thanks for the food, I guess, but I don't have enough Tupperware for all this shit. No, or enough room <laughs> in my fridge. There's, like, whole-ass turkeys. Yeah. Um, but she, like, does that, or maybe she just leaves it out, which feels worse. It does feel worse. <laughs> goes to bed, because remember, she only interacts with Letham in her dreams. <laughs> Creep. Mostly. Mostly. So, like... She goes to sleep, and she wakes up in what is ostensibly Letham's room, which is a black room with black bookshelves and a black bed and a fireplace. <laughs> which, like, okay, I get it, you're deaf. Like, can we, but listen, okay. Yeah, I get it, you're deaf and you're gothic, meh. Yeah, 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 meh. <laughs> but the weird and creepy part is that there are trinkets from her life, like a hair clip from <sighs> when she was a child, just on the bookshelves, like keepsakes. Well, and like shit that she thought she lost, or is that later? No, it's it's that that's all here too. And one of those things is like a bracelet that she and her twin had. And I'm like, that's fucked up that he stole that from her. Yeah, it's like that, and then like her favorite pair of red lacy underwear. Yeah, and which like, like I'm sorry, no woman has a pair of favorite red lacy underwear. They're no. granny panties. Thank you so much. Yes, our favorites are always granny panties. But it's just like all of this weird shit. There's like a teddy bear. And it's I'm just like. fucking creepy. I hate books where they watch them grow up. Yeah. No, it's disgusting. <sighs> and I don't like it. It's creepy. And I get that the title is Obsession. But like we didn't have to go with the whole fucking tribute. Yeah. No. A shrine. Not that far. No. So Letham is there. And for some reason, Lilith is not angry about Evan. Um, and doesn't ask a fucking follow-up question. Nope. But instead, she tells him, like, you know, I know nothing about you, and you know nothing about me. There's no way this could work. I'm like, which is it, girl? Does he not want you, or does he want you? And it just, it doesn't make sense, because, again, it's contradictory. It's like, oh, I'm not mad about Evan, but we don't know each other. <laughs> But Are we can't be together because you don't know me. Like, Not okay. that you murdered someone for no fucking reason. Well, okay, but then he does this stupid thing because he riddles off, like, random things about her. He's like, your favorite color is blue and your favorite season blah. And just like, you, like, 
get when you get nervous, you twirl your hair around your finger or something like that. And I hate that because those are all attributes about somebody that do, that means nothing about whether or not you know someone. Yeah, none of it had to do with like her actual personality or how she feels about things or her reactions. Like those are all things you could just get from watching someone, which is right. all he's doing. Right. And it doesn't jive with her like internal monologue of like he's the only one who truly sees me. I'm like, I don't think he does, girl. No, because he doesn't say anything about her emotions or like her missing her sister or like being an orphan, like this trauma that he's actively putting her through. Yeah, the fact that she's being gaslit by him and her uh, therapist and like everyone. Yeah. So he riddles off those answers. She's like, uh, well, I know nothing about you. I don't know any of these things. And she riddles off like a bunch of these questions, like your favorite color, your favorite season, blah, blah, blah. And he answers them like in succession, which I think is probably my least favorite manifestation of the question game. Ugh, it's such a, <laughs> it's such a, a lazy manifestation of the question game. It really is. It's just blocks she, of text. Her last question is like, you know, can I see you? And she like reaches for his hood. And he again says, no, you can see me when you open your eyes. And she's frustrated with the crypticness, as am I. And at this point, we're like very close to the end. So I'm really wondering, does he have a face? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So they go on to interact and he does things in this scene, like kissing her and like nipping her fingers. And I can't get the comical nature of what that must be like <laughs> to just insert your fingers into <laughs> a dark darkness. <laughs> Oh my god. There's also, um, I don't know if you noticed it, but there is some logistical errors in this scene. I didn't. I was reading very lightly at this point. It's fine. So he is like kneeling between her legs. Like he's going to eat her out, which we'll talk about. But then she like says something. So he reaches up and tilts her chin up. A, what are you making her look at? B, how long are your fucking arms? Go, go, gadget extendo arm. <laughs> and, like, why are you tilting her chin, like, up to the skies? Don't look at me. <laughs> it's just like a way. And, like, it was written in a way where it's, like, that, like, look at, like, I'm standing and I'm going to tilt your chin up, but he's just between her legs and she's laying on her back, so. <laughs> I, I, it, did, it was very confusing. <laughs> look at me when I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm forcing your head away. <laughs> And the Coco Gadget Extendo arms. Because, like, if you've ever been in that position with a, a man, their arms can reach, like, maybe your boobs. Like, they're not reaching yeah, your chin. Yeah, and then, that's a stretch. It's like, yeah, they're, like, fully extended. It's usually, like, yeah. around your, like, lower ribs is, like, where they can reach. Yeah. So, I did not like. No, yeah, that's, uh, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so they end up canoodling, and he eats her out again. And it's fine. I mean, it's, it is a specific scene, the logistics aside that Liz mentioned, like, <laughs> it is technically, like, probably fine. But again, there's none of that, like, physical reaction or closeness. They talk, but, and in any other context, they, it would be described as, like, emotionally close talk. But I just don't buy the relationship at this point. So this whole scene was no. amiss for me. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like real emotionally close talk. It's just fake. Yeah. And at some point, he has fingered her. And then at some point, he has fingered her and brings his fingers up to her mouth to lick clean. And this is when she notices that he also has a matching gold band on his finger as well. So it's like they're married, but not married. Because and never... I just found that to be really presumptu presumptuously, like, creepy. Yeah, because, like, you never asked, bro. You just, like, shoved a ring on my hand and then also put on a matching one. That is not how marriage works. 
No, that's uh, and and then they don't they don't she doesn't ask about it. They don't talk about it. Ever. No, she just kind of notices it internally, and she's like, "He uh, loves me," and I'm like, "Does he? Are you sure that's not a tracking device?" I know, like I don't I don't trust anything he's doing to you, girl. So that scene ends, but fortunately, we don't stay late and see her wake up. We see her next on the day of Evan's funeral. And it's here, in this point of the book, that we learn that her parents didn't actually die in the accident with her sister. That they died beforehand, both from bowel cancer. Which seems like a terrible fate to bestow on your fictional characters. And it's such a specific fate for characters that mean nothing. This feels like... Somebody told this author, write what you know, and maybe somebody in her family died from bowel cancer, and she was like, that kills you. Let's just do that. For both of them. For both of them. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, I... It was too late for this to happen. You should have told me you didn't... It was very confusing. It changes nothing about the story if they died (laughs) in the accident. (laughs) No, it doesn't. It doesn't change anything. And that would have made more sense, actually. Right. Uh, So... At the funeral, the other woman, Olivia, is there. And Lilith sees clearly now how blind she was, how, like, Olivia was actually fucking Evan, and how everybody knew but her, obviously. Including, apparently, Evan's parents, because she's standing with them, and (laughs) Lilith is, like, sitting in the back, like, girl. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are many arguments for Lilith just being totally off her rocker. In this book. Were you actually dating Evan? Maybe he didn't like you because you were freaky. Like, I just, I have so many questions. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, we learned that Evan died of an overdose, which seems like an unnecessary fact because we were only told that he smokes weed. Not that he does harder drugs and you can't overdose on weed to the point where it kills you. So, like, I didn't understand why we we learned that at all. Yeah, I don't know if that was just to give some, like need a reason to tell the public why he's dead because you just don't die from like losing your soul but it you easily could have talked about that he did harder drugs earlier if you were going to make him od so lilith can't bring herself to feel grief at all she only really feels scorn but she doesn't name that she just gives us that sense as readers and i actually thought that this part of the book was well written because she conveys her emotion about the things she's thinking while she's in the funeral but it's the yes. only time, and she doesn't lean into that at all. No, no. I wanted more of, like, this commentary. Yeah. Well, and I, I felt like we were owed it because the whole, like, premise of this book is she's on a journey of, like, self-acceptance and, like, working through her grief. And anger is a part of that, right? But yeah. it's very fleeting. So she's lingering in the foyer before the service, and instead of mourning... Evan, she's mourning the loss of Ledham, whom she hasn't heard from in three days. So again, he hits it and quits it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He hits it and quits it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We learned that she's quit her pills and is going through withdrawals, and she's specifically having bouts of nausea, and I swear to God, I thought she was pregnant. (laughs) Okay, I did too, and I was like, but how? (laughs) Yeah. But it's only dreams, right? (laughs) They haven't had sex yet. They haven't actually had sex. Also, she talks about these, like, brain zaps, and I didn't understand what that was. I didn't either. It felt like she described it as, like, somebody tasing her brain, and I feel like that's not normal. Yeah, I, I like, are you having, like, small seizures? Like, I, okay. All right, girl. 
as she's standing there, she thinks that she feels Ledim's presence, but when she turns around, she only has a vision of Dahlia again, and I don't understand why. I don't... I don't... <laughs> I don't know, because again, are you hallucinating or are you not? I think both. I hate that. <laughs> I don't think this book even knows. This book doesn't know. So she texts Letum but doesn't get a response. And then time passes and suddenly it's been two weeks. She's hit rock bottom. She grieves being left behind by Letum and the lack of access to pills that will make her forget. So she can't, she won't take the ones that are marked as like with the Lilith sign, but she also says she can't afford new pills under like it kind of implying that new pills wouldn't have the little sign so so i don't know if it's let them tampering with her pills or what <laughs> i don't know but if you yeah like we said if he's tampering she shouldn't be having such severe withdrawals and like she's still having withdrawals right so she cries herself to sleep every night and dreams about the crash and her sister woof yeah seriously we switch to let who's actually still there but the reasons, whole time. <laughs> I've been here the whole time. But he reasons, quote, she needs to overcome this for the both of us to know she accepts me fully and completely, end quote. Why is this all about you, bro? It's all about you. It's the let him show. Why, why is the default that she has to fix herself, quote unquote, before you can love her? Why is she not enough? Right, like what, and and why can't you support her through this? Like, why'd you just ghost her and think that that's gonna help? The grieving is so much easier when you're around people. Yes, especially people who love you. She's alone. Yeah, completely alone. Grief and trauma are things that you have to talk about to get over. And yes, leaving and her just, to her own devices is not doing that. No, you just added a whole nother layer of issues too, because now she's like rejected on top of grieving and alone. Right, because you love bond the fuck out of her for four fucking years. Yeah, because he's also, he's not leaving her notes anymore. He's not like, well, he says he is, and they're like hidden in a drawer, which is fucking stupid. I just forgot how to text her. I, hate, I, I just, I hate it. I hate this guy. And going back to the whole, like, okay, you want her to have agency thing? Fine. I like that. That's admirable. But you're not communicating that to her at all, and you can go through this process while communicating that. A hundred percent you can. And also, yes. it's not consistent with the way that you're acting because you slapped a ring on it without her consent, and then you also <laughs> killed her ex-boyfriend without her consent. So, like, which is it, girl? And again, let him, don't you have a job? Don't you have a job? He's. It seems like he's there 24-7, and I'm like, is there <laughs> yeah. literally nothing else you could be doing? I, like, people die all the time, so I don't understand why you're not, like, doing that thing. Because somehow that's worse. Like, somehow him witnessing her struggle... It's, it's Feels so much bad. worse. Like, just watching her cry herself to sleep every night and, like, throw up every day. And he's doing, like, the ghost reaching out, like, caressing the cheek. Like, oh, I wish <sighs> I could help you. It's like, you can. You could. You easily can. You are, like, half of this problem right now. And it goes on for, what, like, three months? It goes on for a fucking while. And he doesn't even stick to his guns. Because we'll see, they have, like, a a sexy interlude as, like, a, quote, reward. But then he's like, I have to leave you again. You have to do this on your own. And that's the one time that he says it. And then he leaves again for, like, months. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You're you're a bad lover. 
Or no, he's, he's the partner. worst. No, he's the worst. He's abusive in a lot of ways. Yeah. So uh, time passes and Letham watches as Lilith finally heads to the cemetery where her family is buried, which is something that she's never done. She visits her family's graves and speaks to them, specifically to Dahlia, telling them what she's been going through, um, the fact that she's met Letham, the fact that she's sorry, how she's been dealing with grief, all of this stuff. And Letham sees this as a step in the right direction toward her healing. Okay. Dick. Also, I don't think we get a sense of time of, like, when her parents died, but, like, did you not go to these funerals? I had questions about that, too, which, again, feels like they should have died in the accident. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because that would have made more sense. Because, like, and they're all buried together, which, like, you can do. You can have plots together. But I would imagine you and Dahlia would have gone to your parents' funeral. So you would have been here. Also, they didn't die at the same time. It was, I think, oh, the yeah. dad first and then the mom. And the- so you didn't go to your dad's funeral with your mom when she was sick, dying of <laughs> bowel cancer? Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah, it doesn't. Because that And that would be, even as an adult, if, like, you've never faced death and now, like, you're an orphan and you don't have a sibling. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a problem. That's way more traumatic. <laughs> anyway. So because Letham sees this as a step in the right direction, that evening he decides to, quote, reward her by finally fucking her, okay. which feels wrong on so many different levels. It's toxic as fuck. Yeah. And so the way that he does this is not even in like a romantic way. It's not consistent with the way that he's been treating her otherwise. He like roughly takes her in the shower. Hard enough that like the tile cracks yeah and uh, like she's it's she's like mid shower right (laughs) yes he like doesn't give her a heads up he's just suddenly there in the shower with her and wants to be fucking and that feels like when (laughs) you wake up in the middle of the night and your partner just has their dick in your back like Yes, and you're like, oh boy, I'm busy. <laughs> like, and I am nowhere near ready. And he does. He like steps behind her, and his like dick is like pressing into her ass, and she's like, okay. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. So he he fucks her against the tile to the point where some of her tile cracks. <sighs> but then takes her into the bedroom where his soul shadow buddy is waiting, <laughs> and what? both of them take her there. How far apart can they be? Uh, questions. <laughs> I, I didn't know that his his shadow could exist in this this realm. Like, like, not connected? Yeah, that's weird. It shouldn't be able to, yeah. Hmm. I kind of assumed in the dreams they were in the underworld, but maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Uh, I was going to say, in this scene, she talks about um screaming a lot. Yeah. And there are ways to, like, have loud vocals and sex, but the way that she describes screaming I, is Didn't scary. sound good. No, no, no. It just, just, just screaming sounds like pain. Yeah, it, it, even in the, in the scene, I was like, if I was your neighbor, I would call, like, for a wellness check. She even, like, mentions that. She's like, I forgot I had neighbors. I'm like... <laughs> Okay. Your neighbors didn't forget. <laughs> no, because it's one thing to be like calling out their name, but like scream out, punch myself in the head. <laughs> Screaming is a different level. Yeah, very different. So because there's two of them, 
and they're both fucking her. This obviously has some anal play in it. And usually, like, that's something that I don't mind, but, like, I don't know. I just, this scene had the same issue as the prior scenes. Like, it just felt very abrupt and... It's super abrupt. (laughs) Non sequitur. Yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) And also really toxic because he's, like, rewarding her for something that she doesn't know that, like, just so fucked up. She... Yeah, rewarding her for an expectation that she didn't know she had. Yes. Talk about not knowing there was a gun. Like, this girl doesn't know. (laughs) So everybody's satisfied, and Lilith is elated, but immediately accuses (laughs) Lenham of leaving her. (laughs) Which, I'm sorry, but if you left me, like, ghosted me like that, and then popped up in my shower, we wouldn't have fucked. I would have been like, get the fuck out, and, like, we can have a conversation. (laughs) Yeah, dude, like, no, this is a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am situation, because he tells her, you still need more time. And of course, Lilith is crushed, because she's like, more time for what? Because he doesn't explain, he doesn't even tell her. I know, he just says, you've made a lot of progress, and she's like, I feel better, is that what he's talking about? And I'm like, this is so unhealthy. It's so problematic. (sighs) Let him, does leave her in the morning. And she doesn't see him for three months. But he does resume leaving her gifts. So he leaves her a flower every morning just to let her know that he's still, like, there, I guess. Which, uh, okay. He could have done that the first time, but all right. Yeah, I feel like he should have done that the first time because this, like, reminder that he's there and just giving her space allows her, like, the confidence to start living So, like, she starts making friends. She, like, goes to a work party and, like, gets friendly with her boss and, like, all of this stuff. Yeah. And I can't help but think that if you had just started this process, like, oh, I don't know, maybe three years earlier, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't. And I wouldn't have as many problems with this book. No. As she goes through this kind of blossoming, if you will, she texts Letum random thoughts throughout the day that he never answers. So it's just this one-sided conversation that she's having in her phone. And then one night, for no reason, she decides to go into the drawer where she keeps all of his letters from before, and she realizes that he sent all of his responses to her texts there, rather than the phone, so it's chocked full of new replies. I picture her, like, opening it and just like, Phew. I hated but- this. Uh, but at that point, three months later, I don't remember what I've asked you. So now all these like fragments of conversation don't make sense. This feels like a test to me. Mm hmm. Like, oh, do you still look at my gifts or whatever? Like, yeah. I'll reward you if you still remember that I gave you things. But like, brother, lose my number. Lose my number. Yeah, because she also says that, like, when she starts living, like, she's using the new bag he got. Like, he, she's, like, using his gifts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hated that. So th- this realization makes her cry, and one of the his last responses tells her that, like, he's they'll be together soon or something to that effect. And she tells him that soon isn't good enough. So he sends her one last letter that says, quote, to end, you must go to the beginning, end quote. I open she, at the close. I open at the close. This is just the Deathly Hallows. It's just this is the Deathly Hallows. This yeah. is Voldemort's story. It is. Yeah. Well, this is his origin story, obviously. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, fortunately, Lilith has 
no trouble understanding what that means. She drives to where she first met Letham, which is the scene of the accident where her sister died. I just hate everything that happens next. <laughs> yep. When she gets there, she sees Letham, and she finally sees his face. He's described thusly, quote, a dimpled chin, soft, supple lips, a lethally edged jaw, high cheekbones, all shadowed beneath the hood, but illuminated by the headlights, raven-colored hair and thick black lashes fanning over his pupilless white eyes that see everything. <laughs> so I was into his, like, I mean, I was like, okay, fine, this is a fine face. Why are his eyes so scary? Ah. <laughs> uh... It gets worse. Oh, it gets so much worse. <laughs> because she remembers every time she's spent with him as he helped her through her grief. Memories that she had somehow hidden away before the beginning of this book. And she specifically blames the medication and the wound on her heart that refused to heal. Question mark. This, um, this is like... It's like in Light Lark when it's like, we've always been in love, but worse. Yeah, this is this is like, it's all a dream, but worse. But worse. <laughs> okay, I just, this doesn't make any sense. Was it the grief of her father? Because you should have, I feel like <laughs> the only reason her parents, I feel like the first half of this book, her parents did start out dying in that accident. And then the author was like, fuck, I want to end it like this. So they have to die separately so that he could help her through her grief, starting with her dad at some point in the past that we don't know. That we don't know. Uh-huh. And then because then she would have forgotten over the last four years. But then why didn't he intervene to like make that stop happening? Yeah, like, why would you just, like, let her struggle and, like... Because he's he's clearly still seeing her and knows that she's not remembering. So, like, why would you let her do that? And was the not remembering thing, like, an overnight thing? Right, or, like, a gradual thing. And, like, so she blames the medication, sure, but I'm not confident she was taking medication <laughs> anymore. And the whole Evan thing, like, was it really that? Or did she just at some point ask for space from her fake death boyfriend? Because she wanted to date a real boy. And, like... Yeah! <laughs> I just don't know. I it don't believe I, this. No, I, I don't. I hate it. I don't... Uh. <laughs> so... The books the book ends this way. She God, finally... it's worse. I'm sorry. It just gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> so... Lilith tells Letham that she's finally ready. So, in what should not be a plot twist in this book, it is not Death who did not want her. It is she who did not want Death. Because she's finally ready to accept it. And so she lays down and he takes her soul. And then another car (laughs) comes around the bend and crashes. And for some reason, we have to see her ferry the soul of a little boy who died into the afterlife. (laughs) And of all of the non-descriptions we get in this entire book, we are treated to a very graphic description of this little boy's death. He's like hanging in the car, like bleeding. With his spine sticking out of his neck. Yeah, his fucking spine is... It's... Why? (laughs) (laughs) Why? And now is she just like Lady Death? Like, 
Why was this so graphic? Why did he have to die? <laughs> what the fuck? And then the book ends. <laughs> Oof. I... I... Okay, this ending would have been bad enough. Why did you have to just kill this rando? In such a terrible way. And also, what is this curve and tree that people just, like, drive into all the time? Why were you seeing your sister? Was your sister waiting for you to carry her to death? Like... So, I... She... So, she makes... Um, Lilith makes some, like... Some comment about, like, her sister showing up because, like, she wasn't ready to let go either. But it's, like, a one line (laughs) and it doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. God damn, this is the, uh, I'm just, I'm so mad. <laughs> um, all right. So Liz, take us through Spice. What did we rate it? We both gave Spice a two. There are scenes, I mean, there's three or four scenes, but like we said, they just jump right in there. We don't have the communication and the the relationship doesn't make sense. It just feels very toxic. We have this BDSM dominant kind of idea, but that doesn't align with like who the characters are. And there's it's consensual sex, but like it just it doesn't it it just doesn't hit. It feels gross in a lot of ways, even though it's definitely consensual. And there's just not a lot of that like emotional detail we like. Um like the physical details are there, but not in any sort of way to connect with. Like none of these scenes turned me on. I was just like, okay, we're yeah. here now. <laughs> definitely not the one-handed book club readers, but No. So we rated the writing style a two, and that, I think we've covered a lot of the issues, but the the primary issues are, it was not well-structured from a a novel perspective. It it was all prose, not a lot of conversation, um, and very difficult to read, therefore. The, like, sentence syntax was correct, but it wasn't particularly beautiful, nor was it descriptive. And finally, there were a number of typos, right? So, like, Either they were just, I mean, in most cases, I think it was just flat out the wrong word to Smelt. be used. Yeah. <laughs> but it really had the effect of taking us kind of out of the, the fantasy there. So, yeah. you know, no, not a lot of points on, on writing style there. No. So what I about quality it. of storytelling? Okay, that's a two. I, the story doesn't make any fucking sense. I'm almost tempted just to make it a one. But I do think, unfortunately, we have read less coherent stories yes so i'm gonna keep it at a two but it doesn't make sense the characters don't make sense they don't say consistent lilith is unreliable but for no goddamn reason mm-hmm. um like we don't have characters flipping <laughs> through the ship like we did like they're npcs <laughs> rise of a dark throne oh my god but, just, but it's, it's just, pretty fucking close it's pretty fucking close and it just, like, all I can say is that it just doesn't make sense. Like, none of this book made sense. The plot didn't make sense. The timeline didn't make sense. The reactions of characters didn't make sense. Everything was just contradictory and not in an interesting way. Like, you can use contradiction and you can have a character that is thinking and doing different things. But usually the reader knows why. 
No one fucking knows why. No. I'm not confident the author knows why. Yeah, I'm not bought into the setting or the world that was created here. And in fact... Also, what world? (laughs) We have, like, an apartment. An apartment and, like, basically a Starbucks. Yeah. But also, like, that, that just... It does that cardinal sin of creating more questions because it gave us a lot of erroneous detail. Like, the point that you had earlier about the fates. Like, okay, so in what context does this book take place because you're telling me that there are rules but i don't understand those rules and it's making your your story clunky so i need a little bit more detail there exactly or less detail or you should have left out the fates all together right or like if he if he has to interact with her in the dreams why can he suddenly manifest in the real world is he in a different place or is he just manipulating her oh my god katie we didn't talk about the security tapes Oh my god, we didn't talk about the security tapes. We're going to talk about that right now. Because, okay, so... When does... I think that happens at the point where she discovers his notes. It's, like, toward the very end. Yeah, yeah, because he also, like, lays out gifts and shit. Um, So she has that nanny cam where she's been trying to see, like, what happens to her at night. Yeah, she has it for her own safety. Just calling that out. Yes, but time goes missing. So... Let him, let him rip. <laughs> let him Ring. rip. <laughs> let him rip. Um, gives her those tapes back, that missing time back. And she watches them and it's fucking horrifying. She can see herself getting railed. railed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We are soulmates. <laughs> she can see herself on her hands and knees like giving a blowjob like she can see her like head being like manipulated but there's no other bodies it's just like her alone in her room on her bed getting fucked by nothing and weirdly it like turns her on no that would make me feel all kinds of uncomfortable yeah so I really hated that detail um I also Again. don't know why Letham chose to show her that. Like, yes, you were right. It was all a dream. Why are you telling me that? Well, and like, is it a I'm still not even confident it's a dream. So like, why is she, If it's a dream, why is she physically being manipulated by the sex? Uh, uh, it's like sleepwalking, but for sex? I don't know. I just, I just have such like this visceral image in my head of what that looks like. And I see it in like this grainy, like black and white, like shit nanny cam footage. And it's so creepy. Yeah. It's something that should be in like a true crime documentary. It is creepy because you're right. It's not just like her like fake giving a blowjob. It's also she can see like the shadow like fingering her. Yeah. Like, like she herself. can see her body being manipulated for that. Yeah. Uh, uh. I know. I hate it. Thanks, I hate it. Thanks, I hate it. And it's like hours of this, like so much missing tape. Not, it seems like not just the scenes that we've read. Right, because there's memories that she doesn't remember about her fake ass boyfriend in her dream world. It's so disturbing. Wow. Yep. All right, so Liz, do we recommend this book? No. Yeah, no, it's a big no for me, dog. I couldn't even let you finish that sentence. Like, it's just a hard no. I, like... (laughs) My last note in in my notes is really like, I don't know how I feel because this is supposed to be 
it feels like it's supposed to be dark romance, but it's also really fluffy, but also really fucked up. So like, what did I just read? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what I would put like a genre. I mean, paranormal romance is like a type, I guess, but like, it's just very upsetting. <laughs> it's just upsetting. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, no, I'm not here for it. No, me neither. All right, we did it. Those are our thoughts on Death's Obsession by Avina St. Graves. Thank Ugh. you for joining us on this What a Journey. What did you think? I would love to understand uh, on the socials. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Goodreads at Spice Traders Pod. And if you like our podcast and want more, consider joining our Patreon where we release Patreon-exclusive episodes on our off weeks. And if you really, really like us, drop us a review wherever you listen. But until next time, we'll see ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.